We've been talking for the last several, well, we've been off for a few weeks, but for the last several months, we've been uh, doing kind of a mini series within this called Faith Works. Faith works. And, and as we were walking through this study, we, we've, seen, we've seen some truths. But tonight, I want to answer a question that comes as a response to all of those. The, the question that I want to answer tonight is, is what do we do when our faith doesn't work? All right? So what we're going to title this tonight is when your faith doesn't work. We've been talking for, for weeks about the fact that faith works. In other words, when you have faith, there are works in your life that support that faith. But probably everyone on this room, in this room, on some level, has evaluated their life and seen areas where their faith isn't working out. There are not works to support their faith in certain areas of our, of our life. So the question is, what do we do in those kind of scenarios? What do we do when we see lapses in our faith? What do we do when we don't see supporting works to what we think is saving faith? How do we respond to that? As we've walked through this study that faith works, we've seen several key truths, and they all build kind of to what, what we're talking about tonight. And in our first week of, of faith works, we saw this truth, that appreciation without application is self-deception. Um, all of these have been notes in prior weeks. If you took notes then, you don't necessarily have to write these down. But this was our first principle that we walked away with. Appreciation without application is self-deception. If you appreciate truth but do not apply truth, you're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. Well, we sprung from that into our second week of studying faith works, and we saw this truth the second week, that saving faith is always accompanied by supporting works. So appreciation without application is self-deception. That's James chapter 1. In James chapter 2, we see that whenever there is true saving faith, it's always accompanied by supporting works. In other words, when faith is real, there are works that don't give the faith. They just point to the faith. They support the faith. They prove the faith. Saving faith is always accompanied by supporting works. And then our last week in that study, we jumped into Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, what we saw is that those principles have been true through all of history. Hebrews chapter 11, we saw 28 different examples of, of heroes of the faith who have had supporting works to their saving faith. So throughout history, genuine faith has always led to bold decisions of faithfulness. This is not something that's new. This has always been true. That faith works. If you have faith, it will be supported by works. So then, the question that we need to ask tonight and find answers to tonight spring from those truths. I want us to answer the following question tonight. What do I do? What do I do if my faith is not accompanied by works? I hope that some of you on some, all of you on some level have had to ask that question as we've gone through this study. Because if, if, if the spirit is in you, there is conviction to be had when we recognize that faith works itself out in our lives. There's conviction there. I hope in all of us. So when you have that conviction, when you have doubts about the works in your life, whether they're there or not, what do you do? How do we respond when our faith doesn't work? We have to have an answer to this question. We have to have an answer to this question. 
Uh, otherwise, we are left with hopelessness. We're, we're told that faith works, faith works, faith works, faith always works. But if your faith isn't working, is everything hopeless? No, there are things that you can do to fix that problem. But if you don't know what those things are, we're in trouble. We've been slowly remodeling our house that we bought about two years ago. And uh, recently I was working on a project where I was rewiring uh, something in a wall. In, in, in electrical work, I've never done it before. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing as I'm going. And so uh, working on some electrical, plugging things in, zapping myself and all sorts of different stuff. And uh, we we working on this project for hours and I get to where my light fixture is in the wall and everything's wired up and I, I flip on the switch ready for, for the glorious reveal. I flip on the switch and nothing happens. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world when you've, you've been working on a project for hours and hours and hours and you're ready to see it in all of its glory and the switch does nothing. So, the switch isn't working, the light isn't turning on, what is the problem? Well, because I'm not an electrician, I have no idea what the problem is. It could be like a hundred things. I could have broken the breaker somehow. Uh, I could have wired something incorrectly. I could have broken a wire. My light fixture could be broken. The light switch could be broken. The, the reality is because I don't know what I'm doing, I don't even know where to start. I, I don't even know what the issues are that I need to look into. And so what guys like me end up doing is we just stand there for 20 minutes flipping the switch up and down because like, I don't know anything else to do until I can start researching and finding answers to what do I do when my light switch isn't working. And, and what I do when I research that is I find, well, the first thing to test is this. And then if that doesn't work, then you know the problem's over here. So go look into this. And eventually, through enough troubleshooting, you can identify the problem. But I can assure you I never would have identified the problem if I hadn't been given the instructions in order to locate what the problem is. That's exactly the scenario in which we find ourselves tonight. Where there's probably been conviction in your life because your faith doesn't always work itself out. <clears throat> your faith is not always accompanied by supporting works. So what do you do? What's step one? How do you start dealing with that? Do you just try harder? Do you pray more? Do you read your Bible more? Do you uh, go and find accountability? What, what do you do? What are the causes? Why does our faith not always work? That's what we're going to answer tonight. We're going to answer that question by looking at three causes to examine when your faith doesn't work. Three causes to examine when your faith doesn't work. So when my faith doesn't work, what do I look to? We're going to look at three causes tonight. The first one is that your soul is lost. We're going to kick this off a little bit heavy tonight. The first option when your faith doesn't work is that your soul is lost. Now, as we jump into this list, I want us to be aware that, that there may be multiple of these, but probably it's one of the three that we're going to look at tonight that, that is at the root of the issue of your faith not working. Perhaps the problem with your faith not working itself out is that your soul is lost. In other words, you aren't actually saved. 
Scripture teaches very clearly that this is the case for so many. That if, if your faith is not accompanied by supporting works, that your faith isn't actually real. In fact, that was really the first principle that we saw in this study. If there's appreciation of truth but not application, there's faith but not works, it's self-deception. You're deceiving yourself. I want us to take this list tonight. I want us to evaluate our lives really carefully. But I also want us to take this list as an encouragement. Because while this list may bring conviction in our lives, this list gives us hope. Because there's nothing more hopeless than knowing you have a problem, but not knowing what to do about that problem. There's nothing more hopeless than your light not working and you having no idea why. It's awful. So take this list as as an opportunity for evaluation, but take this list as an encouragement because in this, there is hope for us when our faith doesn't work. This is a heavy message. Your soul may be lost. But there's no sweeter message that a lost soul could hear than that their soul might be lost. If your faith is not accompanied by supporting works, you need to examine yourself to see whether or not you're actually a Christian, to see whether or not you're actually saved, to see whether or not you're in the faith. Paul commanded this of actually all believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says this, Test yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith examine yourselves. That's what Paul says. He is writing to the church at Corinth and he's saying, hey, Christians, these are people that are in the church. He calls them saints. But he says to these saints, to these Christians, you need to be testing yourself. You need to be examining yourself. You need to be checking continually to see whether or not you're in the faith. Because there are those who believe that they are in the faith, who as their life progresses, there becomes evidence that they're not actually saved. They may have shown fruit early on in their life, but the longer they live, there's more fruit that they're not actually in the faith. So Paul calls the church at Corinth to test themselves. Examine, look, study yourself and see, am I in the faith? We, we must do this. This is, not, this is not something you do in the first week of your life as a Christian. I do this. I examine my life to see whether or not there's evidence that I'm in the faith. It's a healthy process. Test yourselves. So the question quickly becomes how... Do I do that well? How do, how, do you, how do you test yourself? How do you examine yourself well to see if you're in the faith? Like it's not just, it's not like a physical examination, right? It's not, you know, my, my fingernails are short enough and uh, I shaved my face this morning, so I'm good. I must be in the faith. Like the, it's a spiritual examination. How do you do that? Well, to answer that question, and uh, we're going we're gonna to be here pretty much all night. We're going to go through this whole list 
uh, but this list is going to be the springboard for the rest of this study. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to look at this first one primarily tonight, and then the next two are going to be a launching pad for us for, for probably a, a month or two of, of conversations that we'll have um, about how to grow in our faith working. So in answering this question, how do we examine ourselves well, tonight we're going to be in 1 John. So open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, that's going to be our text tonight, in which we will find the answer to how do we examine ourselves well. How do I identify whether or not I'm actually in the faith? If your faith is not accompanied by supporting works, it's possible that your soul is lost. How do you know? 1 John chapter 2 answers that question. We're going to see several verses about this, but, but really the, the, the rule of thumb on testing yourself is 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I always remember that because it's 1, 2, 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I go to this passage a lot. This is a passage to have on your mind a lot. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. It's a really simple verse. It's a really simple message. You want to know how you know if you've come to know Jesus? That, that's the question that this verse is answering. By this we know that we've come to know Jesus. What's the answer to that question? How do I know if I personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I know that? You can know it. How? If we keep his commandments is what John tells us. You can know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus if you keep Jesus' commandments. You can know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus if you live a life of obedience to Jesus. Okay. That's, that's really clarifying and really helpful. You know how I evaluate whether or not I'm in the faith? I ask if I'm obedient. So on the one hand, that's really helpful. It tells me where to look, what to look for. But on the other hand, there's all sorts of questions now that start popping up. Like what, what level of obedience is required? How many commandments do I have to keep? If I break one commandment, does that mean I haven't come to know him? That's what it seems to be saying, right? By this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So if I break a commandment, Am I not saved? If that's the case, we're all in trouble, right? So I hope that that's not what John means. And we're going to find an answer to that question as we zoom out of this passage just a little bit. I want to draw your attention to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. The next verse is the one we are looking at. By this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. But that verse is preceded by a fascinating statement by John. John says, I'm writing this letter to you so that you don't sin. Okay? John's writing to help us so that we don't sin. That's good. But then he makes a really helpful statement. If any of us do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. That is such important truth. In other words, if anyone is, is, is reading this letter and they're trying to grow, they're trying not to sin, but they sin, they are not instantly condemned to hell. Rather, if we sin, we have an advocate. We have someone defending us. We have someone testifying for us to the Father, and that is Jesus. You know why Jesus is advocating for us? He calls him, he calls him in, in, verse, uh, in verse 1, last few words, he calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only man who is righteous. Truly and completely righteous. But that only truly and perfectly righteous person is standing in heaven. And when one of us sins, he is advocating for us to the Father. He's telling the Father that we, the unrighteous, are covered by his righteousness. That's what he's telling God. He is defending us before God that though we sin, we are covered by Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The one who is righteous covers those who are not righteous. That is essential. Were, were he not advocating for us, were he not covering our sin, any sin would condemn us to hell. But Jesus, the righteous one, has covered our unrighteousness. So John writes, I don't want you guys to sin. I'm writing this so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate. Okay? That's awesome truth. And in some ways, that truth scares me. Because it's easy for me to start to think, okay, John says, if I sin, Jesus covers me. If I sin, he covers. I sin, he covers. I sin, he covers. Might as well just keep on sinning. Yes, it doesn't matter how I live my life. Yes, it doesn't matter if I'm obedient. Jesus covers it. Jesus advocates. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's why verse 3 exists. By this, 
we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's a fine line here. On the one hand, if we sin, Christ covers us. On the other hand, if we don't keep his commandments, it shows us that we're not actually saved. So how then do we interpret that truth? How then do we understand that principle? Well, John continues to explain it. John says in verse 4, The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John says, if you're someone who says, I have come to know Jesus, I am someone who Jesus covers, but you don't keep his commandments, you lie. You're a liar. You you have no truth in you. But on the flip side of that, verse 6, verse 5 rather, but whoever keeps his word... Whoever obeys him, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And here he restates what he said in verse 3 in a different way. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. That's another way of saying exactly what he said in verse 3. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Okay, so I want to translate that truth for us a little bit. Mark, if you jump forward on the screen, I want to throw this truth up on the screen. Followers of Jesus live like Jesus. Not perfectly, but progressively. Followers of Jesus live like Jesus, not perfectly, but progressively. In other words, that, this is exactly what he's saying in verses 5 and 6. If you are actually a follower of Jesus, you will live like Jesus lived. Now, will we live perfectly? No, no. And you know what? When we don't live perfectly, we have an advocate. That's what Jesus Christ is. He advocates for us. But those for whom Jesus advocates are those who live like Jesus lives. Now, not perfectly, but that last word's really important. Progressively. Progressively. In other words, over the course of time, we are growing in how we live like Jesus. Over the course of time, we're growing in how we look like Jesus. The Christian life is a process of growth. The Christian life is a process over time of looking more and more like Jesus. So we ask the question, how do I evaluate? How how do I look and see whether or not I'm in the faith? How do I test myself? How do I examine myself? You know what you look at? You ask the question, am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more obedient? Not perfect. John knows we're not perfect. Jesus knows we're not perfect. That's why he's advocating for us before the Father. But progressively, 
You have not arrived, but you're growing. You may not look exactly like Jesus yet, but you look more like Him now than you did a year ago. You look more like Jesus now than you did six months ago. I'll, uh, I'll never forget, the heard this, first time I heard this question was um, probably late junior high or early in high school, and it stuck with me my entire life. You jump forward for me, Mark. Am I more like Jesus now than ever before? It's a good question. Am I more like Jesus right now than I was five years ago? The Christian life is a process of growth. Am I more like Jesus than I was two years ago? Am I more like Jesus than I was one year ago? Six months ago. Am I growing? Am I growing in my obedience? Am I growing in how I look and walk and live like Jesus? Am I keeping more of his commandments? About three months ago. How have you grown in the last month? It be a convicting question to ask. But that's what it means to examine yourself. To ask, how am I looking more like Jesus? Now, I want to be careful because we can take this all the way down to do I look more like Jesus than I did five minutes ago? And while I hope the answer to that is yes, I think we all know that the question, the answer to that isn't always yes. The reality is that while ultimately the Christian life, we are growing, we're becoming more like Christ, it really looks more like this, right? We're, 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 we're growing, we're becoming more Christ-like, but there's dips and valleys as we become more Christ-like. So you may not look more Christ-like than maybe you did a week ago, but you better look more Christ-like than you did a year ago. So I want us to examine ourselves, to evaluate whether or not there's growth. But I also want us to be careful. I, I, I feel conviction as I'm preaching this, and I hope everyone in this room on some level feels conviction over this. But I also want us to be careful because in evaluating ourselves, it's really easy. <laughs> it's really easy to compartmentalize our life and, and, and at times, be really critical of a lack of fruit in a specific area of our life and ignore all the other areas of our life where there may be fruit. And I'm speaking, this is, this is, this is, I want to be careful here because some of us need to take this really seriously and really heavily. We need to examine ourselves and seriously consider that there's a possibility that, that you're not in the faith. But I also want to encourage some of you to look honestly and, and, and to know that you're going to see fruit and, and that that's a good thing. 
There's, there's an image all throughout scripture of, of different kinds of trees and how trees bear fruit. Jesus says uh, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. If a tree is full of bad fruit, you wouldn't look at it and say that's a good tree. And it's a picture of the Christian life. That, that you are bearing fruit. And if you're bearing good fruit, it testifies to the fact that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're bearing bad fruit, it testifies to, to the fact that you're not a follower of Jesus. But there are absolutely scenarios of people in this room who, carrying out the illustration here, are trees who have a lot of good fruit on them. And there may be a few bad apples that keep popping up in your life. <clears throat> Scripture talks about those as, as sins that easily beset us, besetting sins, things that you really struggle to shake. And, and it may be easy for some of you to think, I can't shake that one sin. I must not be saved. And while that examination is healthy, be careful with that. Because it's easy if you're so obsessed with one or two besetting sins that you ignore a whole bunch of good fruit on the tree. So what I want us to do as we examine ourselves is to look honestly at our life. To see fruit that is affirming and see that as affirming. But if you look and you don't see growth in your life, if you look and you don't see fruit testifying to the fact that you're a Christian, if you don't see that, be concerned. Be concerned. But if you look at your life and you see, you see good fruit and you see bad fruit, understand that those are the people that verse 1 is talking about when it says you have an advocate with the Father. When you sin, He forgives you. But that's because there's fruit in your life testifying to saving faith. So we're called to examine ourselves. Examine to see whether or not you're in the faith. That is not the end, but that is where we're going to stop tonight. I want you to, to see these next two because we're going to talk about them in the coming weeks. Um, jump, jump to these next two for me, Mark. Uh, next three. Show, throw all three up on the screen. That first option is what we talked about tonight. Number two is that your theology is incomplete. Your theology is incomplete. We're going to talk about that next week, probably the next two weeks. We'll talk about a theology of sanctification and a theology of how the Spirit works in your life to make you more like Christ. If we have errors in our thinking about that, that can have significant impacts on our sanctification. So, one, your soul may be lost. But two, you may be saved and your faith doesn't always work. Maybe that's because your theology is incomplete. Third, a third option that your flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. And that's true of every one of us. We all have times when our faith isn't working itself out. The flesh is weak. But we're called to strive and to grow in that. To pursue Christ. So those are going to dictate where we move forward. But tonight, we're going to have some, some time of examination. We're going to dismiss the small groups. I want to encourage you guys and challenge you guys to not let this pass. Examine yourself. Some of you will find an affirming message. 
And some of you will find reason to be concerned. I want to encourage you to talk to either your parents or your small group leaders about that. It's not worth passing up. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith.